0: Howdy, folks, and welcome to episode 64 of Running with Sam and Dave. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And last few times we've been talking about this, uh, the first, well, the first three verses, I guess. So uh, we're going to go a little further today, but we've been talking about this very, um, very troubling story. And uh, so let's let's read about this and we'll talk about it a little bit. So verse 1 says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered together or rather <laughs> so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, "Go depart. Get down from among the Amalekites lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt." So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites, from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings and lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless They utterly destroyed. All right. So, again, Samuel gives Saul this very disturbing job to do regarding the Amalekites and how God was bringing judgment upon the Amalekites for their wickedness, for the wickedness that they had committed upon Israel hundreds of years before, but the wickedness just continued. And this is one of those things that happens. You know, wickedness begets wickedness. And it actually begets greater wickedness. You know, it's just one of those things that you see it snowball that where one generation leads off or leaves off the next generation picks up and goes a little further. And it's one of those things that as parents, I think we need to be aware of, you know, the standards that we raise our kids with and the, um, the principles and the values that we raise them with—that we need to be very careful um, about the things that we're passing off to them, and not just saying, "Hey, this is how you ought to live," but the important question of why. Somebody asked me this week. Um, they said, "You know, what what's the?" the best advice that, uh, that you've ever been given. And I was like, holy mackerel, <laughs> you know, uh, there's been a lot. Um, and so I kind of made a joke about some things, but you know, really what it came down to is, you know, some of the best advice I think that I've ever been given is know what you believe and know why you believe it. You know, and our, our kids ought to be that way as well, you know, because one of the, the, Unfortunate things that happen so often, especially with those with Christian parents, is we raise our kids uh, to live in a certain culture, to follow certain rules and standards, without really the understanding of maybe why. And so we need to be careful about that because you know I've I've heard it said that you know when you when you uh, skip church on occasion because of special events and things that go on, that you're 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 setting up that standard that skipping, you know, skipping your time of worship, corporate worship, um, is fine. Um, not a big deal. And, uh, is, you know, it will, you have a, you have an an important good reason. And what this uh, person was saying in particular was that what, what you see is that the kids carry on that, that value, that sometimes it's okay to skip church, but they, will take it to a greater extreme than you did. So when you might say, well, we only miss this for sporting events, um, you know, they're going to say, well, we only miss it for sporting events and other family things or other, uh, thing, or, you know, anything else that gets in the way. So anyway, all that to say is that, uh, wickedness begets wickedness. And I'm not saying that you skipped church one time that that's, uh, wickedness uh it might be but um uh, not necessarily um the point being that that uh the example that you set for your kids um the, the the uh the lifestyle that we embrace our kids are going to embrace it um, to a greater degree and so the wickedness of the Amalekites had been passed on from generation to generation to the point where they're practicing child sacrifice you know all sorts of incredible wickedness and in, uh, throughout history that we um, can read about but um, but God says enough and God says it's time We're going to bring judgment upon them. And so he gives Saul some very specific instructions. And so Saul goes out and he starts putting this into effect. First, he warns the Kenites who are living near the Amalekites. And the Kenites were um, uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Um, Those were the Kenites. And so they were helpful to the people of Israel. So he showed kindness to them. And then at the end, though, we read about where he kind of things go off the rails you know Saul attacked the Amalekites and he uh he destroyed everything except he only destroyed what was despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed you know, so they wiped out everything that they didn't want you know, God said wipe out everything their possessions everything and again as i mentioned last time many people say that this is a picture of how we ought to deal with sin and a picture of the old man, the the sinful nature, the flesh, that um, that we ought to deal with it in a in a way that is final and and uh, uncompromising. You know, and, and far too often we don't do that. And the the point being that if we allow the 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 uh, the sinful our sinful flesh to continue to control us, we continue to walk in sin. Um, there is a great cost. There is a great cost, and. In the end, if we, you know, if we reject Christ's forgiveness and we continue to walk in wickedness, well, what does it cost us? It will cost us everything. So, anyway, what we read about here is we read about how Saul um, does not kill the king, a guy named Agag, um, which uh, many people believe is a title. But anyway, Agag, king of the Amalekites, he kept alive. Now, why he kept him alive, we don't know. Um, sometimes this was something that we we've read about in other uh, other passages of scripture where kings would take other kings captive and that king would then be paraded about as a prisoner to say, look, I have power over that guy. Remember that guy that you were so afraid of? Yeah. You know, look at him. He sits on my floor and eats my scraps. I've cut off his thumbs and his you know big toes. Um, you can read about that in another part of the Bible. But anyway, those are those are the kind of things that people would often do when we're culturally Normal. The other thing may have been that he just decided, hey, I'm going to keep Agag around um, for whatever reason. Maybe he's doing that thing that sometimes happens in battle where the officers protect the officers, you know. And so perhaps one of those things where he's saying, hey, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna show mercy because you know I want somebody to show me mercy. We don't really know, but we do know this that it wasn't what God wanted him to do. And here's the thing. You may have heard this before, that God has a plan for your life. You know, I was talking to some some kids a few weeks ago, and I said that, you know, God has a plan for your life. And after afterwards, a little girl came up to me, and she said, what's God's plan for people that die in car accidents? What's God's plan for people that die in car accidents? And I had an answer for her. You know, but I, I was reminded of this last night because I was watching a television show and, um, and in the show, somebody was talking about the story of Moses and how little babies were thrown in the river. And, you know, the 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 male children were thrown in the river to die um, because the Pharaoh said, we got to kill off all these Hebrew children because there are too many of them. They're getting too strong. And so the kid in the story, the pastor says that, you know, God has a plan. You know, if God loves you you know, has a plan for your life, says, well, what was God's plan for those babies that got thrown in the river? And those are hard questions. But did God have a plan for those babies or was the was the plan for them to be thrown in that river? And that's one of those things that that um, I when the scroll asked me the question of you know what's the plan for those people that die in car accidents? well here's the thing about the god's plan for your life you don't know what god's plan for your life is you don't know where he's taking you you don't know his his ultimate intent you don't know if maybe his intent is for you to die in a car accident and so i shared with her i just said you know when i was a kid you know my dad died when i was 5 years old almost 6 and that was something that I many times wondered, why, why why, my dad? Why do I have to be the kid with no dad? Why do I have to be the one whose dad died? Why does that have to happen to me? Why? And when people talk about God has a plan for your life, oftentimes we would say God has a wonderful plan for your life. And that didn't sound very wonderful, having my dad die. But as I've grown older and as I've encountered more and more people through ministry and, and especially uh, young people, I've seen how God has used the worst thing that ever happened to me for his glory and for his purposes to help out kids that are going through difficult things. So many times uh, I could tell many, many a story about times where I've shared that just that little bit about my life and seen how it opened doors for me to, um, to help out kids and teens and even adults um, through difficult times. So why do I bring that up? I bring it up because of this. God has a plan for you and God has desires for you. And We don't know what those things necessarily are. Sometimes God reveals parts of it to us. Sometimes he'll give us a a hint of what's coming in the future, but we don't always know. And we don't even know about some of the things that maybe God directs us to do. Right? So here's the story about God telling Saul, like, you know, wipe out the Amalekites. Well, if you continue to read the Bible, you'll find out that Saul eventually dies. And when Saul dies, he dies in battle. And uh, the way he dies is he's injured. And he knows like, there's not much time left for me. I'm injured. I'm not going to die instantly from this wound. But if my enemies come across me, they're going to come across me. They're going to torture me. They're going to abuse me. They're going to use me. Um, and eventually when he does die, his body is cut up in pieces and hung up, um, you know, by his enemies, you know, as a trophy. But he knows that. He knows that they're going to do something like that. So he doesn't want to be abused and, and tortured and such. And so he says to his armor bearer, you know, I've been wounded finish me off. And his armor bearer says, you know, I'm not going to do that. And so Saul falls on his own sword. And now apparently that didn't finish him off anyway. And there's some people that say that that did. And that there the second account is, which comes up when we get to, um, a uh, second Samuel, um, we start to read about the word getting back to David and the word the word gets back to David. And, 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 uh, the the man that comes, he says, you know, I've taken the crowd off the king's head and brought it to you because I found the king wounded. and I finished, you know, I killed him. And when David asked, asked him who he is, he says, I'm an Amalekite. He's an Amalekite. God told Saul, kill all the Amalekites. And he doesn't do it. And in the end, an Amalekite kills him. But even greater than that. If you get to the book of Esther, you find out in the book of Esther that there is this guy named Haman and Haman hates the Jews and Haman wants to wipe out all the Jews. He hates them part, you know, in part because of a guy named Mordecai, but there may be a greater hatred in him for another reason um, because Haman, as we read about in the book of Esther, is an Agagite. He is apparently an offspring of Agag, and so here's the thing. And when we read this, we see God say, saying, "It's time for bring judgment on these people. It's time to wipe them out." And because he God knows the end from the beginning, God knows the problems that are coming. God knows that you let the you let Agag live. There's going to be a problem. No, uh, does God know the possibility of? Of our choices, of us choosing right, us choosing wrong, what will happen if we choose each thing? Yes, absolutely he does. You know, he knows the results of every choice we make, whether we make it or not. That's part of being all-knowing, omniscient. So anyway, we're going to stop right there. And next time we're going to read about the consequences of Saul not following through on what God had commanded him to do.